Welcome to Machine Learning on the Road with David Nishimoto. Um, this week I'm going to talk about machine learning and image processing. Uh, so Microsoft just released a spot that uh, it's capable of interpreting uh, sentence structures and uh, building an image from it. And, uh, you know, at first glance, you know, it seems like, well, what could that be? Why would that be very useful? And um, what they're saying is that it's a, it's an AI bot that can be used for um, art. So it can, it can draw, it can assist in drawing, and it, and it can draw images. And so the example they had was they, you know, you say, I, I want to, this is a red, bird with uh, blue feathers and uh, the bot will um, build a general uh, object like a bird so there's kind of like two there's two machine learning algorithms that are running and um, but then it will figure okay this this is a wing and it will color in the wing and then this is the the body, and it'll color in the the body. And so, you know, that uh, is pretty impressive, actually, because it would save a lot of time and effort if you were uh, having to draw. Let's say you're you're creating a um, a illustration, and you wanted to illustrate a bird. You know, you could describe what the bird's action is doing. So you could say. You know the bird is in flight, or the bird is, uh, you know, nesting, or the bird is eating uh, uh, food, and those combinations of actions, uh, the, the machine learning read, could interpret the uh, sentence and then create the object artistically. Um, I saw then I did some research on other artificial intelligent bots. And they were building celebrities, so uh, they did have uh, men and women celebrity images, and they took attributes, uh, qualities that they thought were uh, going to be useful in that sense, and then they would build celebrity images. And these icons looked a lot like existing celebrities, but you know they weren't anyone recognizable, but they they looked like the way they had their hair or the makeup or the, the facial lines. They look like uh, existing celebrities. So, but there was kind of some strange anomalies, like sometimes the eyes were not correctly proportioned. For example, the, uh, they, they had uh, maybe one eye was larger than the other eye, uh, eyebrows or eye sockets, you know. So there's some strange things that the machine couldn't quite uh, balance in terms of symmetry. And so it, it had this uh, kind of freaky look to it. But some of them were, were, were pretty symmetrical. I mean, there were times where the parts of the face were not correct. So that, that uh, caused it to not look real because uh, it looked like there were some distortions. But, you know, it's um, very possible that with a combination of uh, virtual reality and uh, using facial recognition uh, that they could 
you know, balance that out and make it more realistic. So one idea that I had seen quite a, a long time ago was about holographic imaging. So the, the software company and uh, hardware, the combination of software and hardware, uh, had built a holographic system, which uh, it holograms are a product of laser, light, and interference waves. So that the the waves interfere or collide with each other, they create uh, an image. So there's some cross-sectioning that's occurring that uh, then they can they can control the intersection of the waves and and the colors and they can create an image. So the software was the was needed was to, to be able to take uh, images and uh, then morph them uh, onto a uh, generic model and create a three-dimensional image uh, that could be seen in the hologram. And what they did is they they built uh, they took a, all the a whole bunch of faces. And they found a common face, and they called it the atom face, and they found a, a common face, that uh, a base face, and they called it the Eve face. And then they then they could take a, a front view and a side view, and they could map that onto the 3D image, and then they you know they could project that onto the hologram. Those were that was pretty interesting. Um, so that led to ideas like you know you could create 3D avatars of yourself uh, using this technology. Now today you know we could use simple infrared technology and get a scan of our our face and then create a virtuality avatar. But the 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 big problem with the avatar is you know it's it's trying to mimic speech. Uh, and uh, you know the facial gestures, emotions, and it does. It still feels uh, kind of clayish. But I, I can really see in the future with the usage of machine learning and, and deep learning um, how they could overcome some of those uh, imperfections. And so it would be very difficult to tell what was machine generated versus which was which is natural. And the way they could do that is uh, through biological patterns. For example, uh, the one I saw was where they were they were uh, uh, mimicking uh, 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 the tongue. So they had an uh, artificial tongue, and then they were analyzing different neuron activities that were firing in the brain, and when, then they would uh, give the the deep learning system that was simulating that uh, a sentence structure to have it speak, and then it would learn how to say different words with the tongue. And what was really amazing is that the neurons uh, move the tongue in a almost a similar fashion to the way we can do that, not quite the same mastery, but it was able to form sounds. And from those sounds, it was able to form words. So it's an amazing concept, you know, from going from words to sounds, I mean, from uh, 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 patterns to sounds to words. And uh, then uh, in our minds, we were understanding those as objects. So uh, those objects now have uh, actionable things that can be done to them. So, you know, the idea of the, you know, you have facial muscles that, uh, 
reactors, you know, they, they contract or relax depending on if you're upset or you're happy or you're different. And uh, and those and that could also be trained based on emotional response. So emotional response to certain words, like if you say green eggs and ham, you know, who eats green eggs and ham? No one does. Maybe uh, Dr. Seuss, but um, so the, those type of uh, reactions to to words or objects, we can express words. You know, like if uh, someone says uh, it's payday. You know, people usually get pretty excited. You might see someone smile. Uh, or if they say, you know, taxes, they might frown. Um, those are those are emotional responses to words which have certain gestures which could be expressed uh, based on natural natural uh, behaviors. Well, going back to this, this uh, uh, AI bot, so I was talking to a colleague this week about you know how uh, machines uh, in gaming they use fairly simple algorithms, uh, so they really have like maybe two bots, uh, but they're replicated you know thousands of times in the movies. But they they're following simple rules like on the battlefield that uh, that if if they uh, get to uh, you know if they're running to someone is left or right of you, you don't run into them. You try to avoid them. But you know, so the simple bot has certain rules for navigation, and uh, but then when you amplify it, um, it basically acts like very similar, like a large group of people would re react um, in a crowd. He was also telling me about terrain generation. You know, kind of the randomness of terrain, trying to make it look like uh, a real terrain. I, when I was studying graphics, the way they did a lot of traits to try to solve that is through fractals or some sort of recursive uh, algorithms where things were were being repeated, you know, and so uh, you, you have a high and low peaks, but when you look at mountains, they kind of average out. There isn't like a really high peak and a really low peak and a really high peak and a really low peak. They kind of like, uh, it looks more like a, a, an averaging, like you have a high peak and then you have a low peak. And then you have lots of intermediate peaks in between and mounds and so forth. And, uh, and uh, so he had done some experimenting with uh, somewhat of the randomness to build, try to build these trains. And uh, he had some success with it. But I was thinking, well, you know, it would be really interesting when you're creating things like that and that the machine learning could, you know, look at real trains and learn from them in terms of the randomness and then interpolate. Uh, random generations to what might it might think would be a realistic trait, and it could also, uh, uh, you know, if you were trying to fill in the, uh, the scenery with water, then it, you know it would know what type of water. Maybe there's different colors of water, like in Alaska, the waters are different from the last colors in in Florida, or uh, colors on the Atlantic versus the Pacific. So um, you know, it could take in terms of context and learn uh, how to, to build these scenes. Well, the advantage of this is that some people are saying, well, you know, the advantage is that it gives you kind of a start, a starting position, a place to to start building your um, uh, your, your your scenery. Uh, but again, the machine learning is, you know, it, it's uh, it's creating tips and and uh, you know, it can put in rocks and 
you know, you can start thinking about there's lots of detail uh, that goes into a mural or, or to art painting. And, uh, you know, you could, you could put a general sketch and it could try to fill in some of the things like, you know, grass or uh, trees or some wildlife. Maybe, it, you know, it'll, it'll look at that scenery and, and, you know, think maybe it'd be nice to have some elk and maybe some buffalo in the distance and uh, maybe a cabin or, or something like that, you know. So, uh, you know, is it is it uh, the machine becoming creative? Uh, you know, yeah, maybe there is some rules to creativity, uh, general aesthetics that it could be following. You know, there's, uh, you know, vanishing point horizons, two-point horizons. Uh, there's textures. There's different rules of color theory. And uh, those can be applied. So, you know, another area that they were thinking that uh, machine learning could be really advantageous is to learn some of the art styles of the masters. You know, there's different uh, art art uh, uh, eras. Uh, like you'd have, you know, Rene or you'd have Van Gogh or you'd have uh, Monet. Uh, you have Picasso. Uh, there's, there's, you know, there's a large number of other artists trends, and depending on if the, whoever was, you know, utilizing, uh, you know, drawing this art, maybe they draw uh, a picture or a, a sketch of a person, and then they want to put it in into kind of the feel of a of, a, of an ancient artist. So there would be maybe a fresco or, you know, what if we do like a uh, Michelangelo painting. It could, could then combine those type of uh, art strokes, you know, oil painting mixtures, colors. Uh, I know a lot of the masters had really dark backgrounds, so they would, you know, then they would fill it in with contrast that with uh, very light colors. And, uh, when you looked at Monet, he was pushing lots of paint around, trying to capture light and motion. Uh, and, and so, you know, the machine could take different rules to paint on the eras and help you paint like a master. Or it, it could actually be connected to a robot, and the robot is mixing the paint and, uh, and uh, applying the paint uh, to a canvas in the key, the, in a fashion, in a manner like the way the masters paint. So then you end up with these beautiful, authentic art paintings that you put on your your wall instead of just replicas. And the the thing is, is if the aesthetic is equal in demand to a real artist, but the cost was a thousand times or a million times cheaper, why not? Why not? Uh, provide that service to the consumer. So there's a um, so the painting like the artist is, or like a master is one area that they thought they could uh, capitalize on. One of the um, articles I read this week on machine learning and music was really quite interesting. Uh, they they took a, a group of programmers, took some M MIDIs and, and uh, they tried to listen to have the machine listen for certain patterns and then come up with a creative uh, song itself. And now these are, they had certain rules for how they would break things apart, how they would train the machine. And they had to actually go learn about music theory. So they went 
talk to some experts, gain some knowledge on how music works, and they program some of these rules into uh, deciphering uh, the existing music. And so I listened to one that was on rag music, and and surprisingly enough, it, it was kind of choppy, and the rhythms were very, you know, they weren't varying very much. There wasn't a lot of uh, change in, in fast or slow. But it kind of sounded like jazz music. I was thinking, wow, that's kind of amazing because it does kind of sound like jazz music. Well, there was another one where they had Christmas music cadences, and it kind of sounded like Christmas music, but none like that I'd ever any song that I ever heard. But it did have that kind of Christmas feel to the music. You know, that's the hard thing about music is it connects emotionally to you. It, it has a cultural connection. The lyrics send a message. Um, but what if you took machines and you analyzed different phrases that are, have people who are popular and then combine it with synthetic poetry? So, like, for example, uh, the machine is composing different poems and uh, based on emotional feedback or response you could have websites where you put that out and see what kind of reaction you get uh, from that creativity and and the, the creativity uh, feedback is strong and, and, and that, that amplifies uh, the values or, or the decisions that the machine is making towards uh, those, those particular phrases or combinations. And then it's trying to, you know, the machine's trying to figure out context, it's just like we try to figure out context, what goes with what. You know, you don't put uh, green eggs with ham. You know, you have to have a, you have to have a nice sunny-side-up egg that's not overcooked with toast, ham, and, and the bacon, and uh, hot chocolate. That's my, my combo for a great meal in the morning. So, uh, you know, those are those are type of things that, uh, uh, in terms of creativity, that I found were kind of interesting. Uh, another one that that we we kind of talked about this week that was interesting also was uh, 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 the idea of of you know machines creating of uh, of different types of seeds. For example, perhaps what would be really interesting is, is that you write a book, and in the book you describe character interactions. And so the machine combines uh, inverse kinematics. So there's inverse kinematics that describe uh, an object, an anthropomorphic object. So you say, you know, this character's name is Henry Parker. Well, Henry Parker's uh, 6'3", so he builds a, a man who's approximately 6'3", scalable to the world he's in. Uh, he has a wife named Penny, so he builds a, a, a model of a female. And um, you can have different emotions, like they were walking, running. In this uh, movie, he's a he's a uh, action character, so um, there's lots of fight scenes, and there's... Uh, uh, running, jumping, leaping, flipping, uh, all those kinds of things, which which easily can be uh, utilized by the machines because it, the inverse kinematics, the, uh, the models describe things like uh, 
walking or picking up an object or moving. And since the machine learning knows what those gestures are, it can interpret from the from the text uh, different motions. And now things have to be adjusted spatially. So you could be giving, while the scenes are being created, you could be describing how, uh, as you read the script and how it's interacting in the world, you could be providing feedback to the machine as these scenes are uh, being initiated. And they, the characters could actually talk. So they could read the scripts because there's dialogue in the book that, that describe what they're saying to each other. So you have the you can have the the mouth moving and instead of having an artist sitting there for long periods of time figuring out the movement of the mouth and the keyframing, these keyframes could be stored and then the machine could read the keyframe uh, read the words and then the characters could keyframe. Now the, the interesting thing that's interest uh, that could be done now with the, the virtual reality is instead of having a keyframe, what if they could uh, do it through the neuron sequence activity? So you keep neurons firing as the keyframe, so it has that natural tongue movement that creates the voice uh, or the simulated voice that you think would be projected by um, the act of air passing over your vocal cords and the uh, formation of your tongue to create words versus, uh, you know, just a probabilistic uh, combination of different phonetic sounds to create a word. So, you know, the era of machine learning is going to change the way we hear words and also the way words are, are spoken. Uh, so that it sounds more natural. But so the advantage behind this uh, scene, uh, you know, is that now you had to take very expensive software that used to run on mainframes, and you're running them on, uh, you know, high-powered laptops with lots of memory and lots of CPU, and uh, you're using a combination of localized computation and cloud computation. And let's say that it costs um, a movie director three or four million dollars to produce his movie, but through machine learning and and, uh, and uh, virtual reality and perhaps some even augmented reality uh, where you're bringing in information from the surround the your surroundings and augmenting that with the virtual reality images to create your your scenery, your action scenes. You know, if you're in sci-fi, you can have your spaceships, your aliens, um, and they're interacting inside of a space. So it's not just uh, a space called the you know TV or a 2D, but they're interacting in a virtual reality space and uh, dialogue and characters and plots and, and uh, gestures and stuff are all being directed by a human being. And uh, let's say you could cut that cost down to $100,000 through the software. You know, it'd be interesting because, you know, there are millions of books every year being written, but there are not millions of movies being published. But with 
machine learning and virtual reality and augmented reality combination uh, and deep learning, maybe the number of movies that you'll see where single directors or single home producers that have written their book can produce a movie. Uh, now, the, the thing, the question is, is would the machine get smart enough to figure out amor, uh, camera angles, you know, inside the virtual reality environment? Uh, I did watch one YouTube where they suggested about how they created a computer movie, a full-length animated computer movie uh, with action, and they uh, they were controlling the camera and everything inside this virtual reality environment. And uh, it was really a good movie. It had an interesting plot line. Uh, he had characters that would speak the lines. The, the animated characters were able to move the mouth to the words. And, uh, and so the, he had a really skilled animator. And, uh, you know, that was a low-cost movie. Uh, but yet, you know, it was, I think, a 15-minute clip. And they were able to generate a computer-based movie. But it didn't really follow a book line. It didn't have a lot of speaking. It had a lot of action. It had a lot of fighting and things like that, but not a lot of speaking. But I, well, with this scene and with machine learning, with deep learning, I'm, I'm suggesting that they would have uh, a, you know, a virtual reality machine learning studio capable of producing a full-length movie from, from a manuscript and then having a director explaining to the characters what kind of gestures or actions or drama that he wants uh, wants them to perform. And these could be all virtual reality avatars who are responding to voice commands and instructions and they're speaking their lines. So, you know, because you look at the cost of celebrities and how much it costs to, to uh, you know, pay for their acting and and, uh, and then bring those that movie to the big screen for entertainment. It's you know cost billions and billions of dollars. Uh, you, even like if you look at the Avengers Endgame, which my family went to, you know, I was looking thinking of what percentage of this movie is now uh, CGI, computer graphics, computer graphics, you know, and uh, what part is the acting? And, and you start thinking, well. It's actually less and less acting and more CGI, and so uh, what happens when the movies get so difficult, so large, so complex, so dramatic uh, to capture people's attention that you know nothing is done with real actors anymore. It's all done with uh, CGI-generated characters that have uh, natural gestures and face, facial movements, and that they, uh, the machines learn from the real characters, real actors, what those facial gestures and responses might be. So you have Robert Downey Jr., you know, digitized and machine learned, and if the character reaction is 90%, the way he would react, and the way he smiles or he laughs or the way he looks and uh, the way he speaks is just kind of these quirky, you know, debonair attitude. And it's very convincing if it was convincing enough, you know, the machine could do it, the rendering at thousands of costs that, you know, directors might have incentive to make everything virtual reality. So I think virtual reality, machine learning is going to change the entertainment business. Um, one that I thought was also kind of interesting is, you know, uh, machine learning trying to come up with recipes. And so, 
you know, it, uh, uh, maybe it, it uses uh, genetic algorithms. Now, genetic algorithms are kind of an interesting uh, uh, way of solving problems. They have goals, they have fitness equations, and then, you know, they have constraints. And so, based on these constraints, it 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 uses iterative learning to try to get to its goal, and, and that iterative learning then uh, removes poorly performing uh, solutions and replaces it with uh, better performing solutions. And so then you can get uh, some interesting results. For like, for example, one I was talking to a colleague again about was about uh, uh, machine learning to play games. So they, you know, they have that, uh, they, they gave, uh, uh, he had a colleague that applied a genetic algorithm to try to play Super Mario Brothers. And so at first uh, they had to give it rules, they had to give it, you know, uh, things that they, how they could uh, jump from different platforms, when to do the jumps. You know, there was lots of failures on each attempt, but then after a little while, the genetic algorithms got better at when to jump, how high to jump, how fast to be running, uh, you know, according to the constraints of the game. And then they were able, you know, to feed that into the input devices. And it was able to get to, at first it was only able to get to like the first three levels playing the game, but now it was capable. He didn't say that it got through the whole game. But it made me kind of wonder, you know, with the genetic algorithms, they don't follow necessarily uh, decision trees like machine learning does. But you can still program or give the constraints of the rules to the uh, genetic algorithm, and then the genetic algorithm runs uh, lots of cycles and crossover mutations and different things like that to attempt to get to a goal. And, uh, you know, it would be interesting in a dynamic system like, let's say you applied it to financials to figure out what the optimal balance is for your different time and resources to get work done and it go, you know it ha, it tries a lot of different combinations to finally find the the optimum combination that it can can find so again just like you know the genetic algorithm trying to find its way to the end of the game to get to the higher levels of failure and success you know uh, maybe there's like you have to catch a certain coin you know that gives you a certain power and realizing that, you know, that that was part of the rule. Anytime you see coins, you jump and get those, and they give you certain power, and then what do you do with those certain powers uh, once you have them uh, would also have to be learned. So it's interesting that it can absorb all that uh, in its training algorithm, but they do have some promise in terms of, of uh, you know, being able to do complex tasks by setting certain goals and uh, and achieving those goals. Um, so that's a, an area I thought was kind of interesting is machines playing against machines. And so it's learning, uh, learning to adapt based on machines playing against machines. 